So tonight, uh, the assignment is Joseph forgives. Joseph was a guy in Scripture who lived a pretty amazing life and has a pretty amazing story. And it's a story that of a, of a, of a brother who was disliked by the other brothers. And those other brothers hated him so much because he was so favored by his dad, Jacob, that they decided to take matters in their own hands. And it, like their first thought was, we'll just kill him. We'll throw him in a pit. We'll leave him there to die. And we'll walk away. No harm, no foul. But one of the brothers had a guilty conscience about murder, which you would think that that would probably be a good thing, right? To have a guilty conscience about murder. And so he decides... He convinces the rest of the brothers, let's just sell him off to the slave traders that are going into Egypt. And so that's what they do. They sell him, and he, Joseph, gets ushered off into Egypt, becomes a slave. While he is in slavery there in Egypt, the story just takes a bunch of different turns. And he finds favor in the eyes of Pharaoh because he was able to interpret a dream. And because he was able to interpret the dream, the Pharaoh of Egypt simply looked at Joseph and said, I like you. I think you're amazing. You're wise beyond your years. One, because you can interpret this dream about a famine that's coming. You'll have seven years of good and seven years of bad. And so Pharaoh likes Joseph so much that he elevates him to second in command, only behind Pharaoh. Now, y'all, if you ever get sold into slavery by your brothers and you find yourself second in command a couple of years later to Pharaoh, that's a story that only God could write. Only he could write. And so here he is, second in command with Pharaoh, and he is just rising to the top. And he is leading the country through a famine And he's leading the country to this place of just sheer prosperity. And Pharaoh is just like, this dude is amazing. All the while, out in the land, during the severe famine, during that famine, his brothers and his dad, Jacob, is starving. And the one place they know to go get food is back in Egypt. So as the story goes... Jacob sends a couple of his sons and sends them to Egypt to get some food. Well, when they get to Egypt, guess who they bump into? The brother that they sold off into slavery, who is now number two in command. Guys, I don't make this up. It's in the Bible. It's in there. And so here he is, second in command. Looking at his brothers, they don't recognize him because, you know, it's been a couple years. He's probably got some facial hair. He's probably dressed up like an Egyptian guy. He's probably cleaned up pretty good. He's second in command. So he's standing in front of his brothers, and he gives them orders. Hey, I'm going to give you the grain that you need, but when you come back, right, when you come back to see me, I want to see the rest of your family. I want you to bring the younger brother, the one that you didn't bring with you. I want you to bring them with you. And so that's what they do. They go back home. They tell dad what's going on. Hey, the, fair, the, the guy told me they can give us all the grain he wants and all the things. And so now they journey back. They bring the younger brother. And 
Joseph is standing in front of them. And as the story goes, there's a couple other little details there. But he gets to the point where he can't stand it anymore. Joseph is in front of the brothers who have sold him to slavery and were out to kill him. And Joseph has a choice right there in that moment. He has a choice. I can seek revenge and retribution for the guys. I can seek justice in my own hands. I can do anything I want to these men. I could kill them right now if I wanted to. I'm second in command. And no harm, no foul. But that's not what Joseph does. Joseph reveals himself to the brothers and finally, and it's like a, a party, a little family reunion of sorts. And so if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 45, we pick up in this little sweet reunion. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 8. Joseph could stand it no longer. I love this. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers, and he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry. That's not the words you would think they would hear, right? Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Listen to this. This is great perspective that Joseph had. It, it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Some of you are asking, why would Joseph go through the story of being sold into slavery and become the second in command? He just told you the reason why he was there. He just told you, all of us, why he went through the journey that he went through, the heartache, the imprisonment, the selling, like the lack, all the things. He just said, it is God has sent me to keep your family, keep our family alive. That's amazing. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me the advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Here's the most beautiful thing about this story. It's not just the sweet family reunion that Joseph had with his brothers. But it was the fact that Joseph extended forgiveness to his brothers for all the wrong that they had done to him. Y'all, let's just be honest. This is not something that our culture and our world affirms. Whenever any one of us would seek to Forgive first instead of taking revenge first. The world frowns upon us and says that we are weak, that we are uh, cowardly. Why wouldn't you? And it's amazing to me how our culture, and many of us have fallen into this trap. We believe that justice first. We believe in revenge first. 
It's not in our world to even say the word, I forgive you, to the people around us whenever they wrong us. Some of you in your life are holding a grudge, not seeking forgiveness. And here's the fact. You're a believer in Christ. You know who Jesus is. But yet you're holding a grudge against someone or something or something that's going on, some situation. You're holding a grudge. You're withholding forgiveness. And you're seeking justice and revenge first. And that justice and revenge that you're holding is most likely what you say and how you treat them. It may not be a physical justice. like It may not be a physical revenge. But you're definitely holding a grudge in your heart. Right? You're throwing darts with your eyes. Right? Your actions, your words are short, sweet, to the point, and daggers. And you're seeking those kind of revenges to the people around you that may have wronged you. I am stunned when I read this story about the forgiveness that Joseph extended to his brothers. That dude had every right to revenge first. He had every right to do it, but he didn't. And I'm blown away by that. Because if you think about it, he had all of those years to think about it, right? The last time he saw his brothers outside of this story was years in the making. And so he sits in prison, and what do you think he's thinking about? I can't believe my brothers did this. How, did, how in the world did, you know? And he's stewing on this for years. He's stewing on this. But all the while, God had a different plan. And so I started thinking about us. I started thinking about how we don't forgive others who wronged us. Some of us just don't know how. How do I forgive those who have wronged me? And that wrong looks a lot of different, looks like a lot of different things. It could be an action toward you. It could be a word toward you. And you are just holding, holding, holding that grudge because of what they said to you or how they treated you. Or even the situation that's going on. Maybe it's a family dynamic. Maybe it's something that's going on between you and mom and dad. Maybe there's something that's going on in a friend group that's going on and you're just holding a grudge because, oh, they don't like me and they said this about me. You know what I mean? We could call it drama, drama, drama. All of that is drama. And many of us are withholding forgiveness. And so I want to give us a couple of three helpful tips on how to handle, how to help forgive other people. You ready for this? I'm going to go quick. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. One, realize and admit your part in the conflict. If you're wanting to seek forgiveness between someone who has wronged you, you need to start looking at yourself first. Admit that. Admit your wrongdoing in all of that. Wake up to the reality Wake up to the reality that you may be the cause of the conflict. You may be the cause of it. You may be the catalyst of it, to use that word. Realize and admit your part in it. Number two, ask Jesus, the ultimate forgiver, now this is it, to empower you, remembering that he has forgiven you. I'm going to pull that apart. I'm going to pick that apart here in just a few minutes. But he is the one that empowers you to forgive. Why? Because he first forgave you. And so helping realize that. 
and helping to understand that when I'm extending that forgiveness or seeking forgiveness for those who have wronged me. Number three, I told you I'm going quick through this. Decide that you don't want to keep on letting that person hurt you by holding the grudge. You have to make that decision. If you're wanting to seek forgiveness, you're wanting to seek that right relationship with them, one, realize it's not my fault, ask Jesus to help you, and then make a decision, I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm letting a person off the hook. I'm not going to be the one that's going to hold the grudge here. I'm going to step out, and I'm going to extend forgiveness. I'm going to be the one that says, I'm sorry, or the one that says, I forgive you. In this story of Joseph, Joseph is a Christ-like figure in this story. And you're like, how did did he become like a Christ-like? He's not Christ, but he's Christ-like. And here's how it's Christ-like. All of his brothers wronged him. They all had hatred toward him. And they turned their backs on their brother. Then they sought to kill him. What did Jesus go through in the last days? Everybody turning their backs on him. All the accusations toward him. All of those things. Joseph experienced all of those things. And God's plan was to use Joseph to provide a way out for the nation of Israel. Just like God chose Jesus to do the same. To lead us out of our sin. And so Joseph extending forgiveness to his brothers is the same thing that Jesus extends that forgiveness to you and I. So that I can have a right relationship with the Lord. That the sin that's between us, there's something that has to be done about it. So Jesus did that for me. He took on the penalty of my sin. And that he forgave me of my sin. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. If you are a believer in Christ, you are forgiven. Totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. And if you don't know Jesus, you can experience total forgiveness if you would willingly look at him and surrender to him and allow him to come into your heart and to forgive you of that sin. Y'all, there is a peace that passes all understanding when you know that everything that you have done ever is totally forgiven and forgotten. Uh, Not an amen in the bunch. Y'all, that's good news for any one of us in this room. Because here's the reality. Many times we take the earthly concept of how other people treat me and we place it on an eternal God. And many times, because we're in conflict with one another, many times we start, I'm going to start preaching right now. Many times we start thinking that that's how God treats me. But that's not true, y'all. That's not true. God in heaven absolutely loves you. And no matter how many times you think you have wronged him, the forgiveness of God is 100% available to you anytime you choose. If you would willingly lay it down before him. And every single time, every single time you seek forgiveness, every single time, he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Y'all, that's good news for anybody because that's not how it is in the world. Here we go. Here's some biblical truth about forgiveness. I'm going to fly, y'all. I'm going to fly because I want to get to the end because it's good. All right? You holding on to him? All right, here we go. One, we have been what? Can you guess it? Forgiven. Y'all, we have been forgiven. 
This is biblical truth. We have been forgiven. How? Through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Every one of us can experience that forgiveness. Every one of us in this room and outside this room and all the world. We can experience that forgiveness because we have been forgiven. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this. And when we were dead in our wrongdoings and uncircumcision in our flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our wrongdoings. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. (laughs) Y'all. To realize that you are forgiven, unconditionally forgiven. It doesn't matter what you have done. You're probably saying, oh, I've done too much, Steve. Don't you know? I'm like, man, I'm the worst of the worst. I've done, uh," yeah, you probably are worst of the worst. But guess what? Even he can forgive the worst of the worst. Even he has the power to forgive. And he is the only one that truly can. If you would only open up your heart to that. And you allow the Spirit of God just to move on your heart and to lead you toward accepting that forgiveness that he has for you. Number two, forgive because you've been what? Forgiven. Genesis 50, I love this, is because it's the end of the story. It's the very end. It's the very last kind of part of the story with Joseph and his brothers. The unfortunate moment when dad dies. Jacob, who is the father of this Basically, the nation of Israel is kind of named Israel, but this is where the nation of Israel comes through the bloodline of Jacob. Jacob passes away, and the family is there at the graveside, and they see brother J- dad Jacob being put into the grave, and all the brothers who had sold Joseph off into slavery are worried because now Joseph is the leader of the family, and Joseph has judicial rights over the family, and all of these brothers are scared to death. What is Joseph going to do to me? They are still living in fear of their own life, of what their brother could do to them. Well, that's sad, isn't it? He had already said, I love you. Here I am. He had already told them, there, you know, in Egypt, I'm with you. When Joseph's brothers heard, had seen that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? Joseph doesn't. And pays us back in full for all the wrong for which he did. So they sent instructions to Joseph. I love that. They sent instructions. They just didn't ask that somebody else do it for them. (laughs) They were worried about it. This is what you shall say to Joseph. Please forgive me. I beg you the offense of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. Now, please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they had spoken to him. Why do you think he wept about that? Why do you think? Because he had already forgiven them. He had already let them off the hook. And it bothered him that they would bring it back up again. Don't we do that? We do the same thing too, don't we? We do the same thing. So Joseph wept when they spoke to him, and then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, I love this, Don't be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people 
alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. Total forgiveness. Total, unfiltered, unconditional forgiveness. And this is not just God to us. But this is a horizontal forgiveness. This is something that we all need to learn how to do really well. Total, unconditional forgiveness. And how can we work this out between us friends? How can we work this out to where I'm not holding the grudge, you're not holding the grudge, and we're okay with each other? And it's submitting to the power of God. As Joseph just said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So Joseph's eyes were on God, not on his brothers. And he was going to do exactly what God wanted him to do in that moment. Forgiveness restores broken relationships. That's point number three. Did I skip one? I didn't, did I? Forgive because you've been forgiven. Forgiveness restores broken relationships. And number four... Forgiveness is a path to love. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, he says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, I love that, Jesus knows that, her sins, which are many, what does he say? Have been what? Forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little, loves little. To truly Display love to the people around you. God's love to the people around you. Extend forgiveness to them when they wrong you. Extend unconditional love to them. And just see what happens. And how you display love. Number five, forgiveness precedes healing. I, I started to think through this point here. And I read this story about the, the guys who brought the paralytic to Jesus, and they lowered him through the roof. Do y'all remember this story? Some of y'all don't know the story, but the story, how it goes, is there was a big crowd in the house, and Jesus is, is teaching and all that kind of stuff, and the guys are bringing, they know that Jesus can heal their paralyzed friend. And so what they do is they literally tear apart the roof, right, while Jesus is in the house, and they lower the paralyzed guy down to, to them. And the response that Jesus had was crazy to me. It wasn't Jesus healed the paralyzed guy first. What Jesus did in that moment is he looked up to the guys that were up there and said, your sins are forgiven. He forgave first, and then he healed second. And then he turned to the paralyzed guy and said, get up and walk and let the party begin. That's Steve's terms. And so as they walk out the house, everybody's like, oh my gosh. I started thinking about that. The forgiveness that we extend not only heals that person and heals their heart, but it heals yours too. And that blew me away. Because so many times the uh, unforgiveness that's in my heart causes the division, not only in the people that are in conflict, but it also creates all kind of conflict in all the other relationships too. Think about it. If you're holding bitterness in your life, how's your relationship with your parents? Are you kind of at odds? If you're holding unforgiveness, 
you're holding on to a grudge and bitterness in your heart towards somebody, how's the relationship with other friends? A little rocky? Struggling? Most likely that's true. And so how you extend forgiveness and get that right, get that bitterness off your chest, it's amazing the healing that comes to you, but also the healing that comes to all the people around you as well and the relationships that are around you. There's like a peace that comes right over you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Shake your head. You know what I'm talking about. When you extend true forgiveness, there's a peace that comes all over you. It's like a healing to your heart in the middle of the conflict. Number six, here you go. God tells us to forgive instead of seeking revenge or bearing a grudge. Leviticus 19. You're like, Steve, there, Leviticus, when you, how many of you are reading Leviticus right now? If you're going through the story, I, I am right in the middle of Leviticus, and it's a beatdown. I've got to be honest with you. It's all about blood sacrifices, sprinkle it everywhere, save this part, burn this part of this animal, that kind of thing. It is like a beatdown, right? There's the first probably 20 chapters that you're like, oh gosh, how much blood can I stand? But that's really what's going on. But in Leviticus 19.18, it says this. You shall not take revenge, nor hold or bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Y'all, that hits deep. That hits deep. Because some of us are holding a grudge. I'm not saying all of us, but some of us are holding a grudge. And you're in conflict with someone in your life. I want to get to the end. You ready? Adrian Rogers, the great pastor here at Bellevue several years ago, he said this, When you forgive, you set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And that's true. And I listened to this sermon. I don't know if you ever listen to Adrian Rogers' sermon. I do every now and then. But I listened to this one from him about how we are to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. And he says this statement, and I'm shook. Because it's true. My unforgiveness shackles me like a prisoner. If I refuse forgiveness to give to someone else, one, that is extremely selfish and extremely prideful. If I'm holding on to forgiveness and not giving it, as Christ has given to me, how selfish and arrogant are you that you would do that? And I lovingly say that. I'm not judging anyone in this room. But I'm telling you, you need to set yourself free. You need to set yourself free. And here's the truth. And it's the final statement there. An unforgiving spirit, an unforgiving spirit will keep you from having a genuine spiritual revival in your life. Do you want to experience God's fullness in your life? Do you want to experience the fullness of Christ in your life? Think about the relationships that you have. Think about those, is there bitterness between someone? Is there bitterness that's, are you holding a grudge? It may be to your parents. You may not like your parents right now because maybe you're going through discipline and you're just like, I hate this. I don't like you. Maybe you deserve the discipline, just saying. But you're so mad at them, you're holding a grudge 
when you were the one that actually caused it. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you need to start say, I'm sorry to myself because I'm the one that's stirring up all the trouble. I'm the one that's stirring it all up. Y'all, I think, if I had to guess, the reason why the Lord's all over me about this talk is because I believe probably about 40% of you are dealing with this issue in your relationship with each other, your relationship with God. There's some unforgiveness that's in your heart. And I'm lovingly coming alongside you and asking you to deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with the reason why you're so bitter. Maybe you're bitter against the church. Maybe you're holding a grudge because you feel trapped. Maybe... Maybe some of you in this room, maybe not all of you, but maybe some of you are looking up at God and you're mad at him because you feel like that he's putting his thumb on you. And you don't have freedom. And you're mad at him. And you're holding unforgiveness there. Let's just be honest. Can we? Can we just be honest? Can we just be authentic and real and just say, I need help? I'm struggling with unforgiveness. I'm struggling in my relationship with God because I hate him right now because he's mad at me or you feel like he's mad at you. Or Can we just have an honest conversation with ourselves about it? Instead of ignoring it and just believing I'll get my revenge on them later. Maybe it begins on a basketball court where you feel like you've been wronged by a referee. <laughs> Let's talk about that. How are you holding a grudge against him or them? That struck deep, didn't it? Sorry. You feel like you've been wronged in so many ways. And how do you extend forgiveness to those that have wronged you? Whether you receive it back or not. Y'all hear that? How do you extend forgiveness back to someone, whether they reciprocate that or not? Because that's not what it's about, y'all. It's not about getting a response from them, although we would hope that they would respond in kind. But that's not a guarantee because they may not be in the place that you are. They may not be or hear from the Lord as you are right now. Maybe you need to walk into your home tonight and to look at your mom and dad and simply say, I'm sorry for my actions. Would you please forgive me? I'm sorry for the grief that I'm causing in my family because of my actions and the things that I'm saying to you. Would you please forgive me? After you pick your parents off the floor because they just fainted, I believe you're stepping in the right direction in a relationship with them. Whether you feel you need to seek revenge or justice toward them, either way. Maybe it's the same thing we do with our friends and the people and the relationships we love a lot and seeking forgiveness from them. How can you extend that kind of Christ-like love toward the people around you to be a display of Christ and to seek forgiveness for the people around you? The last statement I want to say, and it's probably the most important one, 
Some of you have been wronged in very <laughs> wrong ways. And it may be an abuse that has been towards you. And in the state of our world today, this may strike deep in the heart of some of the people that are here that feel like they have gone through an abuse situation. Either it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. And you have, feel like you have been wronged in so many ways. And you are mad, you are bitter, you are angry, and rightfully so. And how do you process all of that? And to look at those that have wronged you and to offer the kind of forgiveness that Christ would offer. Now that takes some time. That's not something that's going to happen overnight. And it's probably something you need professional help doing. And I want to make our ministry available to you. If you're struggling in that area and there's been an abuse that you maybe you have not talked about or nor reported or gotten professional help for, I want to offer our ministry to you for that. And it hurts my heart that you would even have to go through something like that. Because you don't deserve it. You don't. And I want you to know the love of Christ that's for you. If you have gone through that, I want you to know the love of Christ that he has for you. That he absolutely loves you. And he knows where you are. He knows the hurt that's in your heart. He knows the things that are going on with you. I told you I'm going to be authentic. He knows what's going on. He knows your story and he knows the details more intimately probably than you do. But yet he still loves you. He's not going to forsake you, nor is he going to abandon you in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your anger, in the middle of your bitterness that you may go, be going through. And I want to come alongside you as lovingly and as Christ-like as I possibly can to help guide you and lead you to the place of forgiving your accusers and abusers. Because I believe, one, that God can forgive them and that you, through the empowered, empowered work of Christ, can do the same. And that may be a long road for you, but it's a, a road that I'm worth taking it with you. And going down that road and providing the necessary resources for you to be able to come alongside you. Oh, it hurts my heart that many of you are in this room like that. And you probably know friends that way, don't you? You probably know friends that are in that state and are dealing with that. Just be honest. And we need to help each other out. We don't need to push them off to the side. We need to do what we can to lovingly come alongside our friends who are struggling with abuse and to be able to deal with that and to seek forgiveness and to seek God's restoration, God's healing work on their heart and life. And he can do that. He can do that. He can do that through you. And I want to make our ministry available for you. If you're struggling with unforgiveness and, you have, and you're, you're ready to take the next step, maybe you've been convicted by the Lord tonight. Literally, you've been convicted by the Lord about all the things that we've been talking about. And you're realizing you're the one holding the grudge. You're the one that's holding bitterness. And you're feeling like the Lord right now is telling you, you need to step out and to start that road of seeking forgiveness from whoever has wronged you or you have wronged. And I want to empower you to do that. I want you to take care of it tonight. I want you to start the process tonight. 
Don't go to bed tonight with either sending a text message or having an authentic conversation with a friend, a parent, whoever that may be, that you would start the road of seeking forgiveness and allow the healing work of Christ to fall over your heart and your life as you begin to seek peace with the people around you. And so I want to empower you to do that. I'm encouraging you. I'm imploring you. However, I need to motivate you. Light a fire underneath you. I don't want you to go to bed with bitterness on your heart tonight. Because some of you are seeking peace. And you believe your peace is going to come in revenge. And it's not going to come in forgiveness. And I want to encourage you that that's not the road. Revenge is not the road to the path of peace that you want. Try forgiveness and just see what happens.